Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. Going to address is the many different reasons people have left the church, who have abandoned the church in recent um, years. Um, and this series is going to ask a lot of different questions. Questions like, does doubt have place in the church? How do I know that Christianity is true? If God is so good, why do some Christians act so terrible? Or a question like, how can a good God allow so much pain and suffering? And our goal at the end of this series is to address and support both believers and non-believers through God's word and ultimately strengthen our faith and walk with Jesus. And the question that we're going to explore this morning is one of those big questions. If Christianity is so great, why do some Christians act so terrible? Or an alternative way of putting it, why can Christians be hypocrites? But before we get too deep, I have a less controversial question to pose to you this morning. Have you ever heard of the saying, missed the forest for the trees? It's, a, it's an expression that people will use, whether that's in their life or at work. And it's an expression loosely defined as someone who's so involved in the details, the minute aspects of something, that they forget to look at the situation as a whole. And maybe... Maybe you can relate to this. Maybe this has happened to you in your life. Um, maybe for you, you've been preparing for a party, cleaning the house, making sure all the food's right, making sure that everything is timed so perfectly so that everything goes so great. But then at the end of it, you realize, I didn't actually spend time with the company that I invited over. I was so focused on all the other things. Or maybe for you at work, you've put in all this extra overtime to get the recognition from the boss or get the promotion, and you missed out on all these events with your family. Here's one that I've done plenty. Pointing out little flaws or mistakes in something that someone put a ton of time, effort, and work into without recognizing the accomplishment as a whole. And I've thought about this about missing the forest for the trees. And I asked myself, can we do that in Christianity? Can we do that in our faith? And the answer after reading this book and doing study is, yeah, we can. These moments can happen with our faith, our church, our walk with God, even the people who know about God but have yet to be familiar with God. But I recognize that even though we can do this, these trees, these minute details can sometimes be distracting, sometimes be controversial, sometimes even be hypocritical. Um, maybe you've seen some things go on in a previous church that you've attended, attended or saw something reported in the news and it's kind of turned you off to God. It's kind of turned you off to the Christian church. You know, for example, you see breaking news, another mega church pastor was unfaithful to their wife. And you're saying to yourself, see, this is, this is why I'm not in the church. This is why I'm not involved. Or maybe you yourself saw a leader be mistruthful or steal. Um, and you, you're saying, how can I trust anything to do with God or anything that is preached on stage? 
And there is hypocrisy that has gone on in churches, leaving many to ponder the very question that we're going to ponder today. If Christianity is so great, why do some Christians act so terrible? Well, today, through God's word, we're going to discover that the best way to combat hypocrisy is to remind ourselves of the grace of God, to continually remind ourselves of the amazing grace of God in our lives. Who is here familiar with the song or phrase, amazing grace? Very popular. So what, what exactly is grace? What is this grace that we call so amazing? Well, Ephesians 2, starting in verse 8 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Christianity.com puts grace in, a, in context this way. Grace is the opposite of karma, which is all about getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. This is the good news. This is the gospel that we've all deserved to die for our sins but in God's amazing grace, he sent his son Jesus to pay that price. And so that when we believe in him, we receive eternal life. We are made new in Jesus. And Jesus himself talked about these topics while on earth. He talked about hypocrisy. He talked about grace. And most of the time it was through something called parables. So let me set the stage here. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's a story that hadn't maybe necessarily happened in real life, but Jesus is using these stories to connect and illustrate a bigger meaning when it comes to our Father in heaven. So the parable that we're going to look at is a parable about a king, a very powerful king who's settling his debts amongst his servants. And there's one particular servant who owes the equivalent of one year's wages in debt to the king. Now, you might be thinking, Joe, that's nothing. I got like six years wages of student loans in debt right now. But like at the time, this was an astronomical amount of debt, something that you wouldn't comprehend owing somebody at the time when Jesus was telling this. And so the servant couldn't clearly repay this debt back to the king. So the king says, well, to kind of make this even, he ordered that the man's wife and, chi and children be sold to repay this debt. So let's pick this up in Matthew 18, and let's see what the servant and king talk about. Matthew 18, starting in verse 26, it says, At this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. This is an incredible act of generosity and grace by the king, because the king did not have to do this. He could have stuck with his plan. He could have told him to pay him back in, in installments, but he cancels a year's worth of wages for this servant. Now, I don't know about you, but if that happened to me, I would be ecstatic. I would be doing a dance. I would be running around telling my friends. I'd be singing, Jaira, you are enough. I would be doing everything I can to thank God for this amazing circumstance that happened in my life. But if we look, 
the servant doesn't do that. He does something a bit unexpected, something that you don't really think would happen um, after such a generosity and grace was shown to them by the king. So let's continue in verse 28 and see what happens. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Now, if, if this was me, I'd be going to my friend, Joseph Patty right here. I'd be like, I got to tell you, like, this amazing thing happened. I know you owe me five bucks. Don't Venmo me. It's okay. I just had a year's worth of wages. Like, we just need to praise God here. But no, it says, he grabbed him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Does this sound similar to what we just read with him and the king? But the servant refused. Instead, he went off and had that man thrown into prison until he can pay the debt. So it's clear here that our servant here has missed the forest for the trees. The, the hypocrisy here is just outstanding. This servant had a year's worth of wages canceled. And then he goes full UFC and starts choking his friend to get a hundred silver coins that were lent out. Why, why would he do this? I'm reading this and at first glance, I'm saying, this just, this doesn't add up. Like there's gotta be a broader meaning here. Well, in the book, To My Friend Who Left the Faith, the author was asking a similar question to his father-in-law. He said, I just don't, this parable is, is not adding up. Why would he do that after such a, a, a grace shown to him? Well, their, the father-in-law had this interesting idea and angle that the servant thought that it was likely that the debt that was canceled by the king was just too good to be true. That it was actually not an act of grace. That the king was going to come one day and he was going to come knocking on the door and now this servant had to be prepared. So now he's going and he's trying to get his money back that he's lent out and he needs to save and he needs to invest and he needs to prepare for this moment where the king is going to come. He's got this idea in his head, but he doubts the grace of the king. He forgets about the grace shown to him. And what we got to understand about this parable is it's not just about money and debt and, and kings. Um, if we backtrack to verse 23 in Matthew 18, Jesus starts this parable off saying, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like. So this parable is about our relationship with the father. It's about our relationship with God. And like the king who had canceled the debt of the servant, our king Jesus canceled the debt of of our sin. This an enormous amount of debt that you cannot even imagine or comprehend. He canceled it so that we can be in right relationship, so that we can be free and made new and have this relationship with God. Colossians 2.13 starts, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Can we just take a moment and celebrate God that just praise Jesus for the sacrifice that he made to set us free? But, but like the servant who thought 
Maybe the debt was too good to be true. Maybe this grace was something that there was some kind of catch, some kind of angle. Maybe that's sometimes we could do that with our faith. I, it got me thinking, can we just sometimes think about the debt that was canceled by Jesus and say, that's got to be too good to be true. Maybe you've had thoughts today that, that were like, well, what I did was so unforgivable. You know, why would God want to continue to know me, to love me? Or maybe you've had thoughts in the past, like, how can I be a child of God when I don't even have a good relationship with my parents? They don't even want anything to do with me. Or maybe you're saying, I'm so locked in, addicted, attached to this sinful nature, there isn't any way I could go back in the other direction. Well, in that frame of mind, like the servant, you're going to run to things that aren't going to help you in your situation. For, Christ, for Christians, for Christianity, that might look like overlooking someone in need, being so focused and trying to work for your salvation, to try to do better in God's eyes. For people who don't know God, maybe it is drowning your sorrows in substances, hanging out with the wrong crowd thinking self-deprecating thoughts about yourself. But we don't need to follow this path. The Bible clearly states that our salvation is not of our own doing, but it's through the grace of God. Titus 3 says, But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This parable wasn't just about the act of forgiveness and how you should treat others with forgiveness. This parable is about God's grace. And when you truly accept the grace, the good grace that God has poured out on you, your natural response is going to want to give that grace out to others. It's going to want to show that in your, in your action, in your heart, uh, how you were transformed by God's grace. It's a continuous charge for Christians to say, I am going to just outwardly show this grace to others. But let's come back to our question. We asked, if Christianity is so great, why do some Christians act so terrible? Well, in my time studying, I would suggest that Christians act terrible when they become grace amnesiacs. Say that word, that phrase with me, grace amnesiacs. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be a grace amnesiac? Well, when we forget about the amazing grace that God has shown us, we can forget to live a life surrendered to Jesus. And when we forget to live a life surrendered to Jesus, we may claim we're Christians, but we don't live as we are. Like the root issue isn't the action, it's the heart. It's where our heart is out. Because if we forget grace, how can we show it? How can we show when we forgot about the incredible grace shown to us? And this can look like many things practically. For me, I know that I can be quick to judge, quick to listen, just very not understanding, not empathetic to a situation when I'm in times of stress or times of parenting. Maybe for you, you find it hard to let go of an offense from a family member or a friend or a coworker. 
Or maybe for you, you've been so discouraged in your life by others that instead of lifting others up, you're, you're discouraging others with your words. But remember, God's grace is a perspective shift in how you live out your life. So what about those who are outside the faith? Those who are, who are currently, they don't believe in Jesus because of how some Christians they've seen in their lives act. Well, I'm not going to stand up here and defend every action that was done in the name of Jesus by Christians, because it is true. Hypocrisy does exist in Christianity. And there's going to be certain times when Christians hurt another person, when what believers say that they believe in don't actually line up with how they treat another person. And maybe for you, you've had a personal situation where you've been hurt or you may have received hurt in a church or in something that doesn't align with God's word. And if that's something that you had to go through, I want to be the first one to say, I'm sorry you had to do that because it's wrong. And while we have read in the previous scriptures, we are all given this free gift of grace by God. But let me make it clear, if there's someone in church leadership who isn't showing that same grace, that same love, that same care for others, it needs to be corrected. The author of To My Friend Who Left the Faith wrote a passage about the church that I thought summed up what the church is as a whole. So I want to read it verbatim. They said, while the church can be a messy, difficult place, it's a place that is unusually messy because it welcomes all. Love isn't hanging out with people we like and then not judging others from afar. Love is hanging out with people we may not always like pushing for growth so that we all become better. And for Christianity, that better is the person and the example of Jesus. And what did we celebrate last week? It was a Vision Sunday, a Sunday of unity, a moment of singing worthy in English and Spanish. If we are to be committed as a unified church, we are going to have a collective of people from every race, background, language. They all come from a different story. And it's going to be messy sometimes because we are blazes like a family. You know, we hear people who come in and they say, when I came in here, it just felt like it was home. Well, with that culture, undoubtedly, sometimes we're going to rub each other the wrong way from time to time. So I got to bring it up. Next year, we got an election. It's an election year. There's going to be temptations to lean towards hypocrisy. There's going to be temptations to, to go in a different direction than showing grace. But our vision at Blaze Church, while it's complete unity, it's not complete uniformity. We are a diverse set of people, but without a, div a divisive spirit. So our best way to create this life-giving church is to extend God's grace that's been given us to everybody. So 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we Christians have no veil over our faces. We can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him. So how do we become more and more like Jesus? I want to give you four practical ways we can extend God's grace to others. And I want to thank Pastor Craig Etheridge, who put this and summarized this together on a Bible study website called Disciple First. It was a great resource for this message. 
The first way we can extend God's grace is through forgiveness. Say forgiveness. forgiveness. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. God's grace, the sacrifice of Jesus who forgave our sins, it restores our relationship with God. And one way we can extend God's grace is by forgiving others who've offended us. So we're living out our life with a gospel message, with a gospel example. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that just forgive. It's, it's that easy. I don't know your story. I don't know what you've been put through. I don't know the time that you've been holding on to something. But I know this, that when you develop a close relationship with Jesus and you draw closer and closer to the Father, you are going to be more quick to forgive others, just knowing how much you have been forgiven through Christ. And even hypocrisy can be forgiven. Our example of God's grace will show love to a world filled with people who have maybe seen Christianity from far away, seen what they've seen in the news, or experienced something that they experienced in one church. And my hope is that we can shine a light wherever we are so that people know God more. I want our actions to draw people in, not push them away. And maybe there's a person in your life right now who feels this, who feels this weight of worthlessness, who feels like they, they've done something so unforgivable. Imagine you were the person in their life to forgive them, to point them to the gospel of Jesus, to point them to God. The second way we extend God's grace is through encouragement. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So we extend God's grace through our choice of words. When we have life-giving words that point people to Jesus and that are filled with truth and kindness, it shows grace and the love of God. Because I don't know if you agree, there's enough negativity in the world. If you want to find it, you will find it. But we have an opportunity to shine a light and to, with our words and our actions and point people to know God's grace. The third way we can extend God's grace is by lending a helping hand. Romans 12, 6 through 8 says, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them. Well, if you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. We extend God's grace by serving people with our talents and gifts that God has given us. And one amazing way that Blaze has set up is something called the growth track. It's a way for you to do a few online exercises and both understand what Blaze is all about and then also figure out where you best fit to serve Blaze Church and our broader community. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I've actually been serving here for almost five years and the time has 
flown by and it's one of the most fulfilling things that I've done in my life. And it doesn't matter what capacity it is. It could be on stage. It could be at a community event because the bottom line, I want people to know how much Jesus has changed my life because I want the same thing for them. And the fourth way we can extend God's grace is the hope of the gospel. Paul writes to his friend Timothy, and he's in awe of how much God has shown mercy and grace to him. He felt that the way he was living his life was unforgivable, but God never turned his back on him. Let's read 1 Timothy 1. It says, Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ, in my insolence I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as the prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. This is the ultimate way we show God's grace, by telling everyone we know how Jesus has changed us, by inviting our friends and family out to church, out to groups, pointing them to that gospel truth that we've been forgiven, we've been saved, and it was not of our own doing it, but it was because of Jesus. He defeated the grave, and he sent the Holy Spirit to be with us always. I want to invite the band back up as I close I want to encourage you this morning to go back to what we said earlier, to not miss the forest for the trees, to focus on the unrelenting grace that God has shown us. Because there's going to be hypocrisy in this world. There may even be Christians who act terrible. And there may be even in moments in your life where you feel like you don't measure up. But the truth is we aren't to find by what other people think of us. We aren't even defined by what we think of ourselves. We're defined as children of God. And I pray today that you're just reminded of this grace as you go about your walk, that you're emboldened, your faith is emboldened by the amazing love of God. I want us to be a church filled with people who boast in Christ and Christ alone, who love others well, who recognize and acknowledge that we don't always get it right because we're constantly being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. I pray that we, we keep coming back to grace. And before I pray, maybe you are thinking of someone in your life who has been turned off to Christianity, who has had something happen in their church or saw something in the news that said, mm, it's not for me. Or maybe you are that person right now but if you have someone in your life and you're thinking of somebody, I would love for you to raise your hand because I wanna pray for those people right now in this room. Father God, we thank you for this, this amazing time of worship, Lord. We are so thankful for the grace and mercy that you poured out in our lives. I pray for those who have gone through church hurt, those who have seen things that have turned them off to Christianity, Lord. I pray that you are 
the great restorer, that you will restore their heart, that you will show them that, that they are loved, that they are saved, and that they are worthy, Lord. I pray to you that you soften their hearts and show them your grace. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your savior, we want to give that opportunity here. Maybe you've let things in the past just say, this hurt, it's caused me to step away. Or maybe you've given your life to Jesus before and you feel like you've gone on the wrong path, but you're saying, I'm ready to commit my life to the God who loves me, who doesn't ask anything from me in return, who is just there to show grace, to show love. God loves you this morning. Jesus died for your sins so that we can have this relationship with God, so that we can pour out God's love in our actions and to have a heart that is connected to the Savior. If that's you and you want to commit your life to Jesus, I just ask that you raise your hand and repeat this after me. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner who needs saving. I believe that Jesus died and rose again so that I could be forgiven. Thank you for new life. Today I give you mine. Thank you for making me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just celebrate those who just gave their life to Jesus?